Welcome to Raising the Bar, the one and only podcast that centers the lives and experiences of women of color while discussing legal issues and policies. We aim to inform, educate, and provide concrete tools to empower, expand, and raise the bar for our communities and ourselves. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Hey guys, I wanted to send a quick note before you started listening to this episode because there have been uh, some updates. The Supreme Court has actually decided not to review the case that I'm going to talk about in today's um, episode. And so this was something that I was unaware of when I first started recording. And unfortunately, the court has declined to review. Uh, but I wanted to, con- I still wanted to drop this episode because I think it's important. And I really think that the court needs to truly review what it means to issue a true threat or what a true threat means. And so you'll definitely know more as you listen to this episode, but I wanted to just give you a quick update that the Supreme Court has declined to review this case. Thanks. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Raising the Bar with Iman. I am Iman, your host. I'm happy for you to join me during this episode Uh, Real quick, www.rtbpodcast.com, and we are on Instagram at Facebook at the number one RTB podcast. I am very happy to do this episode today. It's I I feel like this is a definite. This is an informative episode. Um, It's about a case out of Pennsylvania um, about Jamal Knox and just First Amendment. Um, So before we get into that, I did want to. Uh, talk about our affirmation. And it's not always going to be an affirmation. This one is a, uh, this one presents a different perspective on how to look at things. And so I got this from the holistic psychologist. I think I did one, I think last episode, the affirmation or the thought of the day was from her as well. But she posted this on, um, it says two days ago, so that would have been March 27th. And it says, it has, I'm going to tell it like it is, and that's crossed out. And so instead of, you know, people saying, I'm going to tell it like it is, what they should say is, I'm going to tell it like it is from my limited perspective based on subconscious programming I'm mostly unaware of. And the caption sheds a little bit more light on what she was saying, but she just says, question everything, especially your own perceptions. Break down the stories you've created. Free yourself from the emotional roller coaster of the ego. Find grace in the humility of unlearning. I chose this because on just my journey of becoming a better person, you know, I had to question sometimes when I was angry, upset, or whether sometimes when I felt a certain type of way, I had to question whether or not it was my ego or my intuition, right? Um, Because I think a lot of times our ego, um, we are driven by our ego and we're driven by not wanting to look stupid. Um, We're driven by pride. And sometimes we really need to navigate towards that. And also, I will say this. If you know me, you know that I'm I'm definitely not afraid to tell it like it is. Um, I'm not afraid to say what's on my mind. But what this made me realize and what this made me think about and why I chose it was even when I think I'm telling my truth, especially telling my truth 
to someone else or about something, I have to acknowledge that it's from my limited perspective. It's based on a story that I've told myself, a story that I've created, right? And it's also based on subconscious programming that sometimes I'm unaware of, right? And so when we say, when we tell someone, especially, you know, in any relationship, whether or not it's a romantic relationship, you know, relationships that you have with a familial relationship, what we need to realize is our truth, right, is largely based on our experiences, our subconscious, all of that inside stuff. And if we don't work on that inside stuff, our truth will continue to be, you know, from a limited perspective. And I think when we're having those difficult conversations, especially with our loved ones, we need to acknowledge that sometimes we may not know everything, right? Sometimes our truth may just be ours and it's not everyone else's. And I think that's when empathy comes in. And that's when we really need to start to empathize with others, acknowledge, right, that, you know, I have my own perception and it's not false, but it's mine and acknowledge that, you know, other people, they're coming to the table with their limited perspective, you know, and their, you know, their perceptions. And I think, you know, like, I think the last sentence definitely speaks to what I'm trying to get at. And my goal is to find grace in the humility of unlearning. So again, if you're not following her, please on Instagram is the holistic psychologist, the dot holistic dot psychologist. And she is phenomenal. Um, you know, her theme is self self healers and learning how to, you know, if you just learn how to unprogram yourself from a lot of the trauma that we make, we dealt with in childhood from bad relationships. Um, it's a great, um, IG account to follow. Yeah, so up next, we're going to talk about Jamal Knox, um, which is, he's a guy, he's a rapper out of Pennsylvania, and um, currently he's in jail for making a song entitled Fuck the Police. And a couple of rappers recently filed an amicus brief with the court, with the Supreme Court, uh, to talk about, you know, just the historical perspective of the song, why rap is not given the same artistic lens as other genres of music and other, you know, forms of art and why he should not be in jail, you know, for this. So stay tuned. All right. So welcome back. Uh, so just really quickly, um, the facts of the case. So in April, 2012, Jamal Knox, I think he wraps under the name Mayhem Mall was arrested on gun and drug charges after a routine traffic stop. Uh, while awaiting trial, Jamal and his friend Rashid Beasley recorded a song entitled Fuck the Police. The song was largely, you know, patterned after the NWA's classic, and it paid homage to the song. Now, the song, and this is what the court thought what made the song unique, was the song named the officers who conducted the arrest, and they were the same officers that were scheduled to testify against um, Jamal and Rashid in, um, during trial. Now, the song was discovered by a pol Pittsburgh police officer who was monitoring, monitoring Rashid's Facebook page under an alias. Um, and the police admitted that neither defendant made the song available online. There was actually a third party, a 14-year-old boy, who uploaded the song to YouTube, and then it was linked to Beasley's Facebook page. And the court said it didn't matter that neither Jamal or Rashid uploaded the song because intent didn't matter, which doesn't really align with, you know, the Supreme Court's prior decisions in First Amendment cases. 
And, you know, so just procedural history, there was a non-jury trial that took place in November of 2013 in the County Court of Common Pleas. Um, and I think it's Allegheny County Court of Common Pleas. They were both charged with making terroristic threats. You know, their first, they had two defenses during their first trial. The first defense was that the alleged conduct did not fit the crimes charge. And so the making of a song, um, you know, that, making of the song did not fit the crime of terroristic threats and it didn't amount to a true threat as defined by the Supreme court. And we'll talk about, you know, what a true, true threat, you know, uh, the first amendment prohibits the government from regulating, you know, free speech, but there are certain speech that the government can, you know, prohibit and true threats is one of that. Some sections with the, you know, what is not protected by the first amendment. So following that bench trial, um, a trial court found that the song constituted a bent the true threat. Um, they rejected his argument that the song was protected under the First Amendment. Um, and then it went to the Superior Court. So from the County Court of Com County Court of Common Pleas, it went to the Superior Court in Pennsylvania. And that court court affirmed um, the lower court's decision, and that court didn't evaluate whether or not the song was protected by speech, pr protected speech. It just affirmed in a, in a memorandum opinion. And then it went to Pennsylvania's highest court, which is the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and they granted re review to address whether the rap video constituted protected free speech or a true threat. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court held that the song was a true threat. They rejected Knox's contentions that the song was merely artistic in nature and that it was never meant to be interpreted literally. And one of the things that the Pennsylvania, good gracious, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said was that the song was unique because it specifically named the officers. And so now that it's gone through, now that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has ruled on it, um, Knox's legal team actually is hoping that the Supreme Court would rule on it. And so this is where we are now. Um, Jamal Knox is still in prison. Um, what I don't I don't know if it's prison or jail, but he's still incarcerated. And um, now we're hoping that the Supreme Court picks it up. And so in doing that, um, Killer Mike and a couple other rappers, I know Meek Mill, Chance the Rapper, Killer Mike, and a few other rappers filed an amicus brief. And um, this is a brief usually filed by interested parties, and they file on both sides. And of course, Killer Mike and you know company filed on behalf of Jamal Knox. And I think... Um, Killer Mike's brief definitely did a good job at providing context and just historical context on the song and rap, you know, and how it's not treated as, you know, an art and rappers are not given that artistic lens, you know, that other artists are given. And so just really quickly, quickly to go through, you know, their brief right off, they talk about what was not done in the previous trials or the previous decisions or what was not taken into consideration. And one main thing that wasn't taken into consideration was that there was no ex expert testimony on just the role of rap in providing social commentary and the role of rap as an art, right? Rap being taken as art. And this is very important because, you know, the argument that, 
Jamal Knox was making terroristic threats completely dismisses the role that rap has portrayed and rappers have portrayed in talking about the ills of this society, talking about the criminal justice system, talking about, you know, being the voice of those who feel like they couldn't find justice anywhere, you know. And to put it in context, here we have a rapper. Something was done to him. He went back and made a song about it. And that was it. He didn't post it online, right? Someone else posted it online. The cops who were acting as an alias under, you know, another name was was spying on him online. And then he got arrested for making terroristic threats. And so, you know, the lyrics, of course, in the song were treated as literal text, which is which I think is an issue in and of itself. Because if you believe that he was going to kill, I guess, these rappers, then you got to believe everything else in the song. And I think there are other songs. And, you know, Killer Mike's brief talks about that, is that if you literally, if you take everything that rappers say literally, right, and don't take it as art, don't take it as a poet that uses similes and metaphors to describe things, and, you know, it just happens that things rhyme, you know what I mean, then you're totally... You're, you're totally dismissing the artistic intent and the artistic expression. And, you know, Killer Mike's brief starts with that rap is the single most important event that shaped the musical, you know, structure of the American charts. Rap has always been subject to unique scrutiny in determining when speech constitutes a true threat of violence and thus falls outside of First Amendment protection. Um, the, the brief goes over the origins and rise and in, in, in influence of hip-hop. I didn't know Kendrick um, Lamar won a Pulitzer Prize for Damn. And, and also, I think the brief does a good job at talking about this is not the first time someone has said fuck the police. This is not the first time, you know, that someone, I think NWA came out with fuck the police in 88. Ice-T came out with Cop Killer in 92. And NWA's Fuck the Police is one of the most important protest songs ever written. Rolling Stones considered it one of the 500 greatest songs. And that song definitely struck a nerve with many people, especially people in, you know, marginalized communities. They wanted justice and they felt like they could only get justice in fictional songs like Fuck the, Fuck the Police. And, you know, the, the brief talks about how rap lyrics, and I'll go as far to say black people, are particularly susceptible to being perceived as subjective, subjectively threatening. And there was a, a study by a psychologist called Carrie Fred, I want to say. Yeah, Carrie Fred. And they took lyrics from a, a 1960 folk song. The folk song was Batman's Blunder. And they told the participants of this study that the lyrics were either from a rap song or country song. And after reading the lyrics, the participant had to rate um, the offensiveness of the song, the threatening nature of the song, the need for regulation, and the song would invite, incite violence. And almost always, anytime a person was told that it was of a rap song, they, they, they rated the song or they evaluated the song negatively. Right. And, you know, they they were significantly more negative with the, you know, when the lyrics were represented as a rap song and demonstrated that the same lyrical content that was viewed as acceptable in a country song was considered dangerous and offensive when identified as a rap song. The study was actually replicated in 2016 and surprise, same results. 
And like I said, I think whenever we view rap lyrics, you know, you have to view them in its proper context. And that's something definitely that was not done in the lower courts in Pennsylvania. You know, one of the things they talked about in the, um, the, <laughs> in the briefs and the decisions for the lower courts in Pennsylvania was that the song had sirens in the background and bullhorns and it had machine guns. And all I could think of was Pastor Troy's song. <laughs> Right, like all I can think of is Pastor Troy. And I'm like, well, damn, if that heard Pastor Troy, Pastor Troy would be in the next jail. Like, it, it's just they did not have any context and they treated this song as if it was just like some unique song that's never been done before. And these people need to go to jail because they're making terroristic threats. Um, you know, and I think all of this, especially, you know, the uh, the study that was done um, in 2016 or replicated in 2016, all of this just says that racial stereotypes play a significant role in our perceptions, no surprise there, of rap music and the people who create it. And I think without the proper safeguards and without the proper protections that the First Amendment provides, you know... I think we're always, rappers will always be susceptible to cases like this and going to jail for displaying their art, right? So what's true threat? Because like we said, true threat is one of, if something is considered a true threat, it's not protected by the First Amendment. So the Constitution allows states to criminalize threatening speech, which is specifically intended to terrorize or intimidate. And I'm really going to break this down because it's not really clear what the current cases or the current Supreme Court cases, you know, regarding true threat, they're all over the place. And I don't think that it really um, outlines a clear test on just exactly what a true threat is. So I will say this, I do think, or hopefully the court, and anytime I think about this court, I'm like, damn, do I really want this court to pick up this this case? But given the current climate or the current state of just, you know, the, the, the test on whether or not something is a true threat is kind of like all over the place. That gives me more hope, and I'm using hope very, 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 very loosely, that the court will pick up this case. But again, the Constitution allows states to criminalize threatening speech, which is specifically intended to terrorize or intimidate, right? And so in order to determine if someone intended to terrorize or intimidate, the courts consider contextual circumstances. And I think that the consideration of the contextual circumstances in this case is one of the main issues. And, and also, I think the reason why, you know, Killer Mike and other rappers just decided to provide context and history. And so the way that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did it in this case, so the way that the contextual circumstances they use to determine whether or not Jamal intended to terrorize or intimidate the cops was, you know, they used... Um, content of the lyrics, right? And we've discussed already that the lyrics aren't new, but whatever. They used the context of the lyrics and they found that the song portrayed violence towards the police and included personalized, unambiguous threats. 
They said the threats were mostly unconditional and the officers developed substantial concern for their safety. I think, and I, what I'm struggling with when we talk about that was the fact that Jamal didn't even upload it to the internet, right? But the court said that that didn't matter. That once it was uploaded, that, you know, I think, and what did the court say? I can't even remember like the wording they used. So all... Although Knox didn't actually send the videos to the officers, the court said that there was no intention that the song wouldn't be conveyed to the police. I don't really know what that means, but that was something that was used to consider whether or not that was a true true threat. Um, the court also mentioned that the song included violence references. And so given all of those things, right, the court found that, you know, given all of those contextual circumstances, the court found that this song was of a different nature and quality. And again, I say, you know, the court thought that they were, you know, taking this test using these contextual circumstances and determining that this was a true threat and that the state should be allowed to criminalize his behavior. I'm really struggling, you know, um, with, like I said, just taking this song and the relationship that young black people or just black people in general have with police officers and not providing its proper context and historical nature. I really think the court missed this mark. And I think that if we allow this to stand, if we allow, because, you know, I think especially given this time, I'm, I'm, the word terrorism in this country is it's always been a loaded word, right? Um, and we see it. We see it day in and day out where, you know, in order to be a terrorist, more likely than not, you have to be, you know, is you know, you have to be Muslim, you have to be from, you know, South Asia, Middle Eastern, um, you know what I mean? You have to look, you know, the part, whereas you have domestic terrorists every day who continue to terrorize us and it's on a rise and they're never called terrorists, right? And so I really, I think this, this definitely, this conversation on who can terrorize, who terrorizes us, and I mean legal terrorism, right? Who intimidates us by law? It's always a loaded discussion, especially when contextual issues, I think, are used to define the act, right? Um, and so I just definitely want us to keep this case, um, definitely pay attention to this case. I'll definitely make sure that I, um, I keep you all updated on this case. Um, and we definitely just really want to make sure that our art, be it you know, print, be it music, be it, you know, any black cultural expression, right? Which can definitely deviate from what's considered, you know, the norm and the, you know, I think the default way in which you express your art. Our art is our art or our, our, our artistic expression is always given a different lens. And that lens more often than not, is always loaded, right? With discriminatory, you know, is always discriminatory, um, racist practices that we definitely need to be aware of, we need to be conscious of, and we need to make sure that we're given the same benefit of the doubt. We need to make sure that we're we're given the same um, leeway, you know, that the majority is given. Um, so I'll definitely make sure that I keep us keep you all updated on this case, let you know if the Supreme Court decides to take it up. It doesn't look like they'll do it this term. 
Um, cause I think, I mean, this term is practically over. Um, and we'll see. Um, but yeah, Jamal is still in jail. Uh, they're definitely, in, or I think there's an organization out there now, um, that, and if you, honestly, if you Google his name, you'll definitely, you'll be able to read about it. Uh, but it's Jamal Knox. He's in um, Pennsylvania right now. Uh, and definitely, um, research more in this case. So until next time, stay blessed. <laughs>